And with that, we welcome you back to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where as always, I'm Adam Armbrecht, and over there is Andy Makowitz. How are you, sir? I'm good. I didn't think t- waking up this morning that I would start getting angry about video game rankings and ratings, but he- but here I am, Adam. You, you, I Because um, I, I ended up having some back and forth on social media talking about it. And it's the same thing. Like, I don't know if I should care at all about this because it has zero impact, but it was weird to see like Darius Slayton has waited on, on, on this debate. We're going to get into uh, some of the player specifics. There's a very obvious one that seems to be a bit, we'll say out of whack. Uh, before we do dive in on that though, uh, we'll call it the house cleaning here. The Deandre Baker situation seems to be ever evolving. It's, it's the, it's the uh, enigma that is the DeAndre Baker situation. And you and I have got, we, we talked about it initially. And then it came out a few days ago that it seemed like there was potentially uh, some level of Baker or Dunbar or their attorneys on behalf of them trying to uh, buy the, 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 the silence or the testimonies of some of the witnesses. It comes out that that was the case. Now Baker's though attorney came out and said, I don't know what they're talking about. That's Dunbar's deal. We actually did this intentionally to expose these people who are trying to extort my client for money. Most of that sounds really wacky and absurd, but then the video footage is of Baker in his own building. So you would assume that they would have to have thought that, or they'd have to be the worst possible attorneys. I don't know, man. It's just, it's so up in the air. And I don't want to make light. Cause we said initially about this, that I'm just concerned about a young guy who, who seems to have made a you know terrible mistake and hopefully can learn from it. But this is, it's like, a, it's like watching the movie clue. I, I don't know who's responsible for what may or may not have happened. I think this, this right now just proves that if you're, on any social media coming out and definitively one way or the other saying this happened or that happened, you have no idea what you're talking about because this story has taken 27 different twists and turns since it got first reported that it was Dunbar and Baker that were involved uh, in this robbery. Now I, I do, you know, the, the funny part and we can make light of this side of it is the, the, the way that people are trying to one up each other, like it's chess is interesting. It's like, no, but we have the the Instagram messages that uh, say that you tried to bribe or blackmail my client, and they're like, "Aha!" But that was us trying to catfish you into it. And then, and then, like the other person's like, "Well, I'm working for the for the district attorney, and I was undercover the whole time." Ha ha! Like, right? Who, who's going to be the person that ultimately like one ups the other person? Right, right. To me, it's comical, and eventually, all of the information is going to come out about this, but. To, to be honest with you, Adam, I don't think there's even a point in commenting uh, either side of whether you think he's guilty or innocent at this point, because we'll wake up tomorrow and there'll be a whole new wrinkle in this thing. For sure. Yeah. And that's it. And it is more just the absurdity of, of how much conversation can be going on around something that's impossible to justifiably be having this much conversation around at, at, at this point. Uh, before we do move on as well, I forgot about this for a minute. My boy, Carter Coughlin. Uh, over there on the social. I don't know Ooh. if you're checking in with this guy, but Ooh. comes in there and he says, I don't know what y'all been up to, but but just know I've been working. Different animal coming soon. Weight up, strength up, speed up, body fat down. And he had these side-by-side images just of like where his physique is at. I was obviously high on this kid coming out. Like I liked that we got him late in the draft. And 
if we want to do the do that thing where I can reference back to a podcast episode in 2020 in the summer, two years from now, it's Carter Coughlin and Ryan Connolly anchoring the center of the linebacking core. Like that is my in my mind, that is a legitimate vision that you can have. Um, if Ryan Connolly can come back healthy from injury and just Carter Coughlin developing his skill set, I think all the natural tools are there for him to be a high motor, high effort guy. And just the fact that he's been improving himself in what's been a really weird offseason can only be a positive sign. So are, are you going on the One Giant podcast to report that Blake Martinez is one and done with the New York Giants? Is that is that what you're saying? In Adam, in Adam Arbrecht's professional expert podcaster opinion, Blake Martinez only one year with the Giants. I'll give it two years, two years. I think the third year, which is like the, the year that the Giants can get out from under with some ease. I think that that you could see that movement happen that way. And by the way, I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you had a veteran like Blake Martinez and maybe sees his snap percentages drop by year three of the contract. Like that would also be okay. Or if they're just relatively close in time, timeshare, um, I would just love to see that as you and I have talked about so much, like getting younger, getting, you know, getting that youth movement in this roster. All you really want to see for sure is in that in two years, these guys are all still on the team, you know, contributing as opposed to saying, remember two years ago when we had those 14 players that aren't on the roster anymore? Darn, I wish some of those had hit a little more than missed. So we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I'm obviously optimistic on, on Carter Coughlin. And hopefully uh, he'll have an impact for the Giants, even in the rookie season. In other news now, uh, I do want to touch on the cornerback position, theoretically, uh, about what the Giants may want to look to do. But before we get there, Andy, you didn't know that Madden was going to take you down a rabbit hole. Yet here we stand. And and listen, no one was more upset maybe than you or I, than Darius Slayton, who came out there on Twitter and was, could not believe how they did one of his teammates wrong. So let me just say that there's a few different reasons why I'm upset about Madden and I, and I can't believe it because I haven't owned a, a, you know, Madden or a video game system in, <laughs> in quite a few years. So I don't even know why it matters to me, but it does Adam, uh, you know, it's been leaked uh, some of the high 99 overall grades uh, as well as a handful of the positional players, like the top running backs uh, in Madden. Now keep in mind that Madden doesn't go into last year's statistics in terms of how they do their models, it's just on skill and talent alone, right? So just keep that in mind. It's how skillful, how talented this person is, is their overall rating. It's not how much past success they had the previous season dictates it. That's actually, that's actually, that actually makes this even more interesting because I would say, oh, maybe it gets skewed based on last year's numbers, but it's actually not how it's based. Okay, it's even worse. Great. Well, well, it is skewed. <laughs> it's skewed in the wrong direction. Like it, right. if that's really the metrics that you're using. The rankings had Christian McCaffrey ranked as a 99. Literally, highest score you can get on on, on that and is a, is a 99. That's what they have Christian McCaffrey at. Don't really have any any beef about McCaffrey being there. He's he's the do it all player for the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. What I do have a problem with is that you have to go past number two, Derrick Henry, number three, Nick Chubb, number four, Ezekiel Elliott, number five, Dalvin Cook, number six, Aaron Jones, number seven, Joe Mixon, to get to number eight on the running back list, Saquon Barkley with an 89. Yeah, that was surprising, I'll say at the very least. And I think Slayton had it – he had the best comment because he goes – 
how come last week they came out and said consensus Saquon Barkley could be the best running back in the NFL? Like just the NFL as far as ranking positional running backs. He's like, and then this week they come out and in a video game format, they have him sitting behind seven other running backs, including some guys that, that are obviously incredibly talented, but like even a Joe Mixon is a great example. I think he's a phenomenal running back, but I, Name anyone in the NFL, including this, including the Bengals, that would say we'd rather have Joe Mixon than Saquon Barkley. I think that's like the easy barometer, right? Like, who would you rather have? And I don't see how you how you put seven players above Saquon. Well, and, and to your point, so uh, ESPN asked fifty different coaches, scouts, players um, to give them their top. Who, who is the best running back in football? Right. And the overall consensus from them was Saquon Barkley is the best. And that comes from the players, the coaches, and the scouts that all work in the NFL. Then you come, you know, then you come to Pro Football Focus, who listed their top 50 players in the NFL, decided not to have Saquon Barkley as one of the top 50 players, even though ESPN said he is the consensus best running back amongst all of us. Then you have Madden that's like, wait, hold my beer. Like Pro Football Focus, <laughs> hold my beer. And they decide that there's seven running backs that you would rather have on talent and skill alone over Saquon Barkley, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. You can argue, listen, he's injured. The style of play is conducive to more injuries. Listen, his production last year after missing a few games wasn't as much as some of these other guys, so we're going to give this award. That's not how they create the ratings. So for me, this is this is an abomination and makes it a, just a complete joke. Like I think about all the other ratings, and I'm like, if, if Saquon Barkley's ranked eighth in the running backs, why are we even going to look at the rest of the list? Like, what does it even matter? Right? What, uh, what, where do they have – what's Zeke's rating? So Ezekiel is ranked a 92, and Saquon Barkley is ranked an 89. So they have him three points higher. Yeah. Like, I mean, like – and I know that you can go any way with it, but they 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 feel like that's like that, that closest comparison in terms of maybe physical, you know, the style. Uh, neither one of them is necessarily the best pure pass catcher out of the backfield, all those kind of things, right? Um, so it, it just seems like when asked, everyone would say, we would take Saquon even over Ezekiel Elliott if you want to go like for like. So at the very least, you would think that they would just go, all right, they're both 92s. Let's call you know, let's call it a day. These guys are very similar type of players. We'll put them at that same at that same bar. I mean, I mean, Aaron Jones is ranked a point higher than Saquon Barkley. And and Matt like LaFleur and even Mike McCarthy have been trying to make it a two-back committee in Green Bay ever since Aaron Jones got there. They tried Jamal Williams as much as they possibly could, even though he wasn't as productive as Aaron Aaron Jones. So, like, Aaron Jones' even team is trying to say the backup needs to get more carries. Like, oh, to yeah. me, it, it's just a, a ridiculous list. And while it is still ridiculous, there are a couple of other New York Giant-related um, numbers that have come out. They haven't listed, listed uh, the full list of where players rank yet, so we may have to go into this in greater detail. But, you know, outside of a Evan Ingram being an 88, which was very surprising to me, saying they're saying he's got all the talent in the world for the tight end position – the other one that I thought really stood out to me was James Bradbury. And mm. Adam, if I had to ask you what his overall rating would be, it is what? Okay. I'm going to say he's considered the second best cornerback on the free agency market behind Jones. Um, I, I don't think you would consider him an elite necessarily number one cornerback. Let's put him. Let's put him at an 
80. I'm trying I'm trying to mix this in here with what I where I think he should be and where he might be. Let's put him at uh let's go 84. Let's go 84. Yeah, I think that that would be reasonable. He's a 79. He's a 79. <laughs> He's not even ah. in the 80s. The guy's making oh 16 million a year. So Madden is just saying like he is not, not like not not is he not worth his contract. He's not even close to to worth what the what the Giants are willing to pay him. And 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 to me like that that just feels like crazy off. Like is he that far down? I don't know. I wanted to find uh, because I'd I'd love to see. Do you have any other cornerbacks up there as far as their ratings go? I I don't. So some of this is coming in, and some of the the sources are not as uh, reputable about the numbers, and it seems like they're just kind of making them up as they go. Um, Gotcha. There's always a good way to approach it. You know, shout out to to New York Giants 366 that basically got a screenshot of some of the different giant players in general. Mm, Um, Okay. So, you know, in between some of those players, we have Golden Tate at an 84. Uh, we had Sterling Shepard at an 82. Leonard Williams. Well, how does that work, though? <laughs> because they say... Well, I, mean, like, I, I, I like Golden... You know, I mean, I, but I just don't understand. They're essentially the same t- style of player. And if it's not... Again, if it's not pred- predicated on previous stats or on injury concerns or those things, I just don't... I, that, that, that'd be saying that, like, just on paper, take away the age of it. You'd rather have, you know, health everything. You'd rather have Golden Tate than Sterling Shepard. And I can't see how that's, I can't see how that's possible. Well, and then, the, the, sorry, the, I, I, know, I, know, I know I'm getting in the weeds here. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't have a, a, a rigid structure around this. So I'm actually having, I'm actually getting confused in the moment. Well, well, and you're going to be even more confused because Leonard Williams, uh, his rating is an 80, and Dalvin Tomlinson comes in at exactly an 80. So they're saying, like for like, those two players on the defensive line are overall the same rating. That's interesting. Like that one, I could maybe, I could, I could wrap my head around that a little bit because if you think about where how, the perception of Tomlinson coming into last year, right? Like we were saying, is this guy on the bubble? Could he maybe not get be returning? He had a really strong season this past year, so you know, skill sets improving. Leonard Williams is like the classic underachiever thought he was going to be better. Like I, I, I can be okay with them being in that same type of wheelhouse, but I guess it, the, the, maybe the question then becomes, would you be paying, do you want to be paying 16 million for a, for an 80 rated, you know, defensive lineman perhaps is the, is the, is the way that you want to go now on paper as well. I would argue that Tomlinson has already proven himself on the field to be a more successful, more impactful player than Leonard Williams. So you might think that, that Tomlinson is deserving of being a, a couple percentage points higher. Yeah, to me, it's crazy, but but the but the the I mean, Saquon's the most egregious. But the second one is that Leonard Williams is an eighty, Dalvin Tomlinson is an eighty, and James Bradbury is a seventy-nine overall. Uh, that's a, that's a really interesting one, man. I, and I'm pulling up like what is could be totally random. This is I'm getting this off a of real sport uh, one hundred and one. So you know, take it for what it's worth. I'd be interested because just by a screen grab of the cornerbacks that they have up there, the first one that would blow my mind. Now they have Jalen Ramsey second at a ninety four, with Gilmore as a ninety eight overall. You can worry about those or debate those if you wanted to. I mean, we all know Jalen Ramsey's a stud. But the one that throws me off here is probably number three. If I gave you a group of players such as, uh, let's give you Alexander, I'll give you Tredavious White, 
We'll throw in Byron Jones, Chris Harris. We'll throw in Richard Sherman, uh, Marlon Humphrey, Patrick Peterson. I gave you a whole cast of characters there. Who do you think is the third rated cornerback in Madden at a 91? Well, this could be a trick question because you may have given me all the other ones, but out of that group, I would, I would immediately think of Patrick Peterson. Right. You would think that, wouldn't you, Andy? Wouldn't you? But if I ran through this list uh, and I went ahead and told you that uh, at 10th, at an 87 rating, so it's, it's nothing to scoff at, is Patrick Peterson. Uh, Byron Jones at 9th is an 88. Harris Jr., 88 at, at number 8. 7th is Hayward Jr. at a 90. 90 Alexander, 90 for White, 91 for Marlon Humphrey, and Richard Sherman comes in as the third rated cornerback as a 91. Now I happen to think that he had a bit, had a better year this past season than he did. You know, he's had his ups and downs, but I also think consensus is like everyone agrees that Richard Sherman has lost a little bit of a step here, that he has a little bit of difficulty covering some of the higher end receivers and like, you know, all those, all those little details. I was, I'm a little surprised to see that he sits there still so high up on the list, even if it is just by a couple of percentage points. Yeah. Once you said the name, I said, oh, OK, you know, he did have a very, very strong season and and he showed that his decline may have been a little bit more exaggerated than it was. He did mm-hmm. perform at a high level last year. Um, you know, his talent and, and his and skill have been evident for years. I, I'm surprised they have Patrick Peterson as low as they do compared to Richard Sherman. But, hey, that's just me. I, I'm a big fan of, of of Pat Peterson. Did not expect him to be a 10. Uh, interesting ones that again, and listen, this is full disclosure. We're pulling these from various sources, so I'm sure they'll refine over time. Uh, Joe Burrow allegedly comes in with a 76 rating with, uh, Tua getting a 73, Jordan Love at a 71, Justin Herbert at a 70. Any of these, any of these ones jump out at you just from a rookie standpoint and some of the ratings? Cause nobody after that really, uh, Jake Fromm got a 62. If you want, if you want to, if you want to know about him or, or, uh, Jacob Eason got a 63. So there's, you know, there's some movement there. Um, do you do, should Burrow be the clear cut best rated on paper coming into this? Who's most ready to, to go out there and perform right now? I, I think that's a, Great question. For for me, I would probably take Tua. I would probably take Tua on talent and skill alone over Burrow. Now, when you talk about progressions, reads, NFL ready, I probably would go Joe Burrow maybe just a touch above him. Um, so, I mean, you could squabble a little bit more between those two, but I think, I mean, you kind of flip a coin. Yeah, no, let's, I don't know. As you say, this is all a bunch of uh, a bunch of nonsense in some way, shape, or form. Um, I guess if you wanted to dive deeper inside the ratings and you know find out accuracy and and all power things weighted, I can't imagine in what world that you could explain how they weight certain attributes and then and then get me to understand how Saquon Barkley is the eighth highest rated running back. Like that's you're never going to get me to wrap my head around that. Um, but I, I would be curious, like the, the, the Sterling Shepard golden Tate one is a very interesting, I think that's an interesting one because they're actually a little bit different or Tomlinson and Leonard Williams just, it, just explain to me what, what the, the analytics are that comprise this guy. What are the skill sets and how do you value them to get him to this place <laughs> that I can't help but laugh. Cause that being said, we're talking about Madden. So I don't really, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You're not, I don't, 
I don't know. What does that mean in terms of sacks for Dalvin Tomlinson? Can you can you express that to me? What does it mean for Saquon Barkley if he's an 89 in Madden? You know, I don't know if you caught because I always try to be I try to be up to speed there on Twitter. And I, I I added Saquon Barkley. We'll see if he gets back to us with just a bag of a bag of chips uh, gif, you know, dropping down. I said, I don't know if you got room on that shoulder, but if you need any more motivation, as I'm sure Saquon Barkley doesn't, this could just be the thing that puts him over the edge and he comes out even more dominant. I think he was slacking this offseason until he saw this rating come out. I mean, you know, at first I thought there was going to be a little bit of Giants bias because they they performed so poorly last year. Maybe they were going to kind of knock everyone down a, a couple of rungs on, on, you know, on the belt. But mm-hmm. if you look at Evan Ingram at an 88, that to me is, is surprisingly higher than I would have thought he would have come in at. I'm, I'm actually most curious. I haven't been able to, to find it yet. I don't know if they've released it, but where Darius Slayton ultimately is going to lie because, you know, he had his breakout yeah. rookie campaign. I'm curious to see if if they have him inside the top 20 wide receivers. I think that could be a, a, a very – I think that would be a good benchmark to find out if they kind of see him as as a number one wide receiver. But uh, I don't know. When that comes out, I think we'll, we'll try to post that out to the group and, and try to get everybody's feedback. Yeah, and as let's 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 move away from it a little bit. And here's a nice way to tie it in. I've also been seeing some of these conversations around uh, the deep throw passability of Daniel Jones. Some some uh, some videos have been shown out there about. I think he's going for Sterling Shepard down the right sideline when he comes up kind of short and in the back of Shepard, uh, back of the defender when he had room over the top. Uh, one of the stat lines that I thought was interesting and also probably worth thinking about uh, when we talk about the wide receiver core for the Giants is that the the yardage separation that the wide receiver core had for the Giants last year is among the worst in the NFL. Um, so when you talk about Daniel Jones being a high accuracy quarterback and being able to do some of those touch passes, the curiosity here, and it, it speaks to you about Darius Slayton, right? Well, it's going to be interesting to see if he can continue to improve in, in in that specific area of the game. If you can get that extra half a yard, well, then it makes it a lot easier to fit balls into a certain window. It means that you're getting away a little bit at the line of scrimmage quicker, and those passes can come out a little bit faster. When you think about Shepard and Tate not necessarily being the fastest, if Evan Ingram can be healthy, that's obviously a bit of a game changer. But that's going to be a factor about something we've talked about, right? The growth of Daniel Jones, the next step for him. This wide receiving core is going to be the question mark and is going to be a contributing factor for how Daniel Jones progresses in year two. Yeah, but let's let's not bury the lead here in terms of separation because a lot of that has to do with the offensive line play. And I know that we've banged on this for quite a while, and you may say, well, what do you mean, Andy? Like, why, why, does, why is that important? If you know that you only have to guard a guy for like 1.2 seconds, you can play press coverage. You can act on their first move. You can really get up in the face of some of these different wide receivers, knowing that you're going to get pressure on the quarterback and he's going to have to get the ball out as soon as humanly possible. Now, if our offensive line was protecting Daniel Jones better, he had more time. There was the potential where a double move or a second move could get them a big play down the field. Then these cornerbacks and some of the secondary has to actually give them a little bit more separation to have them, uh, you know, play underneath a, a little bit more on, on the routes. And so for, for me, I think this, you know, the, do the wide receivers have to step up? Absolutely. But I think shoring up the offensive line is one of these byproducts, you know, that's going to help us down the road in helping the wide receivers. Yeah, for sure. And the, the interesting little throw in there as well would be to say offensive line can also change 
the perception of the wide receiver group from where they rank currently, which is as the 21st wide receiver group in the NFL, uh, just behind the Houston Texans and just ahead of the Indianapolis Colts. So, you know, when when you think about it, a lot of this is going to be predicated again. It's understandable. By the end of this year, if you look and saw Evan Ingram was was healthy all season and so was Sterling Shepard, well, all of a sudden, that's going to drastically change how you look at this wide receiver core, I believe. Um, if Evan Ingram, again, goes down, then it's going to be about Caden Smith and how does he develop. If Sterling Shepard isn't available, then you start to look at these young players that we got in the post-draft and signed and brought in out of Ohio State and say, can one of you be, be this big body red zone target? So the, 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 the question marks around the Giants are often, I think, what's going to dictate how you perceive players, how you perceive stats and separation, like you talked about, how you perceive Daniel Jones and his growth. So unfortunately, when you're in the transitional period that the Giants are in, it's really hard. It's hard to put a cap on what your talent level truly is. The last thing that we'll touch on here is you and I talked about, we know it's, we're going to let the process play out with DeAndre Baker, but one of the things that we talked about just through text messages is some of that information was going around. You, you had your thought process on this right and let's just assume for sake of argument that baker's not going to be available you have in your mind there's a clear-cut route for the giants this year am i mistaken in saying that yeah no i I think i think you're on the money on that one so you so you would go with sign logan ryan on a one-year stopgap deal and then figure things out next season right yeah, I, I I am not a proponent or advocate of uh, stunting the growth of some of our youth and some of our draft picks and guys that we've we've drafted in the later rounds. Even uh, you know specifically this past season, uh, drafting you know uh, was it was he out of UCLA? Yep, Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Yes. Darnay Holmes, as we talked about before. So I want to be able to see these players, but I also don't want them to be thrown into the fire and lose confidence right out of the gate. If, if things don't go well. And I think Logan Ryan is a pro, you know, consummate pro he's 29 years old. So he's not on the tail end of his career. He still can help. If he has a really good season, we have the ability to either franchise him or sign him to a longer term deal. And, you know, there is the small thing that he is from New Jersey. He's, you know, he's kind of wanted to play for, the Giants before. So for me, it seems like a natural fit, especially if we lose a first round cornerback draft pick. So, and I'm not, this isn't, uh, it's not gotcha journalism here, but I, I would, I would rebuff it in the, in one sense. Um, and you already highlighted it. You don't want to stunt the opportunity for young players. And that makes a lot of sense. The two components for me are one, he's a, he primarily is a slot corner. So that's a bit of a knock for me because you specifically need to help on the outside and then even though I agree with you, I wouldn't want Holmes to be damaged if they think that, hey, got him in the fourth round, a highly regarded draft selection at, at that point in the draft for the Giants. But you want to let him come along gradually and just build up the skill sets and areas that you think he could use some refinement in. I would look over and then say, though, I would sacrifice, quote unquote, this season and put Sam Beal on the other side across from Bradbury and say, this is it for you, man. This is your you're out there prove it if you're unable to and we see that Holmes has come along we'll move on to Holmes and give him the opportunity and if not if Holmes is still developing then yeah you're, you're the sacrificial lamb Sam Beal and we're going to reap with this thing the next year now I know 
and someone who's we talked about the schedule and where we think the giant what the Giants can do this season, it's going to be damning if you don't have a true number two cornerback. And for all of the struggles of Baker early, we thought that he came on well late last season, and the new shift underneath the defensive coordinator Graham playing more press coverage and man-to-man coverage should help Baker if he's on the field. So, you know, I don't think it's a like for like, and you'd say same potential with Beal or same potential with Holmes, right? You're losing something if you don't have Baker there. But I just don't know if there's more value in Logan Ryan versus just saying, Sam Beal, your job to lose or your, you know, your case to make right now in this new system. Because if he do, if he is, then maybe you have something in Beal. And if he's not, and, we, and he doesn't get enough reps on the field, and you'll—I'll assume you would say, well, if he doesn't get the reps, it's because he's not good enough, and then it's you know the fair argument. But if you're always still wondering about Sam Beal, I feel like we just haven't given him, or haven't gotten—I'll put it that way—the full sample size to know if we if we hit the mark on him and he just had some injuries, or if we've missed it and we just need to cut bait. Yeah, but much like Julian Love. You know, Sam Beal, they can come in 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 you know three cornerback sets when when mm-hmm. we when we need when you know when they're going four wide and we don't want to slide up Xavier McKinney into the box or do something, we're gonna have you know we're gonna swap out one of our linebackers for a cornerback anyway, and they're gonna be able to get the reps. I know that you're very high on Julian Love. I know you know a lot of the uh, analytics show that in his limited amount of time, he did perform very well. If we were going to put anyone out there, I'd want to see Julian Love over Sam Beal uh, mm-hmm. on the outside, which uh, if, if you were making that argument, you wouldn't get much pushback from me. The problem that we have is that, you know, Julian Love, Sam Beal, Ballantyne, these are all guys that are, you know, one year in and some of them didn't even get that much playing time. So for me, it's very risky to go in with Bradbury and then unknown on the outside. And then when they go into multiple wide receiver sets, we're e- even in a, more of a world of hurt. I would just like to have that protection of someone like Logan Ryan knowing that we can match up a little bit better with a veteran. Well, and that's, and I, and I will say, cause I, you, I am incredibly high on Julian love. Now I'll say I'm high on him because of what he showed at the safety position. And, you know, he came out of college as a corner and they transitioned him there. Could he go back? Maybe. And maybe he showed more than the team realized last year at safety and you want to value him on the outside. However, to your point, you do, then you start losing depth, right? The idea is, well, are we keeping peppers long-term? And even if we are, what if he gets hurt? What's the backup and secondary option there? I think right now, when you look at Peppers, Love, and McKinney as, as this trio of safeties, you go, boy, we can really mix and match and do a lot of great things, get down into the box. I think McKinney is going to be an option to just pick up a cornerback at some points along the way as he goes because he has that type of athleticism in him. But you're right, though. You, you know This mix and match bag where you start pulling pieces around the field, no matter what, you go, okay, but where's the depth here? Or where's the depth there? And you run the risk of some of these guys maybe getting exposed earlier in their career than you want. Uh, and, I, and I will say the last note that I'll say on Logan Ryan, he is he is 5'11". He does run a 4'540". And for as much as I may want to see these other players, uh, love I'd have to pull up his, his pro football focus. But Logan Ryan did come out of last year alone with a 64.9, basically 65 pro football focus rating. And I know just off the top of my head, that's stronger than Beal. It's stronger than Ballantyne in small sample sizes. It's small, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, even well, Baker even, it's stronger than his. Like, it is by default a better baseline than what we had last year. So there's an easy argument to say, especially if we only have a 79-rated starting cornerback. Uh, we, we might as well we might as well back it up with a little bit of a safety net. And if you want to say year one for Joe Judge, value in having just 
you know, a level of stability at, at most positions, right? Feeling like, hey, we're okay. We're going to be in games, you know, and we'll manage this first year as young talent develops. Well, and you know what? We have given Dave Gettleman quite a bit of grief uh, on this podcast for some of the different decisions that he's made. But I will say kudos to Gettleman for signing Bradbury because he identified that we do did have a need at the cornerback position. And if Baker ends up not being able to play this year and we did not sign Bradbury, think about the situation that we're, we would be in in that point. At least we do have a guy like Bradbury who's been around, has has been successful, was one of the top three cornerbacks on the market, and decided he wanted to come play for the Giants. Without him and with all the uncertainty but you know, with Baker – we could be in a world of hurt starting two guys that have never started before. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You're you're right, and we've talked a lot about the the Leonard Williams and the trades and what you got back and what you gave up and all this stuff. But to your point, knowing knowing that you wanted to just get a veteran, reliable presence there, you have to. And also, by the way, we talked about it at the time and not giving the kind of five year whatever it is, eighty four million, I think that Byron Jones got right. Like I didn't want that much of an investment at at a quarter cornerback excuse me at the back end of his 20s I, w- I didn't want to invest that long of a timeline so you bring in it's, it's like the Blake Martinez move right let's bring in a three-year guy understand that we're gonna just let, let's stabilize here friends that that's what it's about to me in my mind um and I did I just pulled that up there quickly Julian Love did come away with a 70.5 pro football uh, focus rating and is regarded again through pro football focus as well as being the most underrated giant coming out of last season I think as they say, I'm looking here real quick, third best coverage rating on the team amongst those Giants defenders who were targeted at least 30 times in the passing game. So, you know, there's enough of a sample size to get excited about him, and it's also probably just slightly small enough to to not fully hang your hat on him. The same way that I'm not going to fully dismiss Ballantyne or fully dismiss Beal because there's still room to explore and grow there. So, listen, it's going to be interesting. We don't know for sure what's going to happen with Baker, obviously, but it, but you still know depth, you know, slot corner is still a curiosity. How you're going to rotate this cast of characters at safety. These are all still question marks that are going to play themselves out, hopefully early in the season and, and ideally in training camp. Nothing would make me happier than to lock in starters at certain key positions and say, oh, no, no, there is no battle. This is the clear outright best player we have for starting cornerback for safety, et cetera. Well, and this may be only something that uh, people like you and I care about, Adam, and hopefully our listeners do as well. But, you know, we are losing a couple of preseason games. So while there is training camp, it's much more difficult to really see what you have in some of these guys that are fighting for roster spots or hoping that they can turn it around or they're picking up all the stuff that they did in training camp. So for me, usually you have that four weeks where you can really get these guys a lot of playing time, a lot of real game experience that they just don't have. So that's kind of where I I think you lean a little bit more on veteran leadership and and guys that you know can come in, look at a playbook and say, I can figure this out. I can sort this out very quickly. Well, and we'll get out of here on this. And it is, it's it's a a tip of the hat to you and probably a check mark on your column of, of the idea of signing a player like Ryan. Not going to have all four preseason games, not going to have a chance to develop some of the young talent necessarily. So even if you don't want to risk getting caught out those first few weeks of the season, that's what Logan Ryan's best value is going to be. Like, hey, 
You don't have to worry about me totally getting blown out of the water here if I'm still digesting a new playbook, if I'm still getting my feet underneath me. So that's another fair point. I'll edit this part out just to make sure that everyone gets the sense that I, I still feel like I'm on the side of the right here. You can... Of course, follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. You can download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you do those downloads. And we'll let you know that the next thing that we're probably going to touch in on is taking a look all around the league. We talked about this off air and then made the choice. Best value, we're combining wide receivers and tight ends. Best receiver value on all 32 teams. So just like we did it with the QBs, let's take a look at that price point. Let's take a look at the product on the field. And this will be a much more exciting debate, I think, because you're going to be getting into these multiple layers on certain teams where you have a couple of wide receivers plus maybe a, a, a Kittle mixed in a tight end just to throw you completely out of whack, right? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a couple of teams. I'm already thinking of the Super Bowl champions right now where there's going to be tough decisions to make. If you can only pick one value, who is it and where do they stack up against another team's value? So excited that we're going to be throwing those two in the mix. And I think... Uh, you'll be surprised at who Adam and I disagree with on these. (laughs) As we always hope, embrace the debate, as they like to say, in a gentlemanly way. And as we want the people to know, Andy. Let's go Big Blue.